Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with about 20 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider, also have an MBA in finance, and have been helping corporations and individuals for over 20 years in planning. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner. Um, You can... Stream us from uh, comfort to your kitchen. You can obviously catch us on the dial at 12.30 a.m. And we also have a new podcast site. It's uh, moneymd.podbean.com. It's P-O-D-B-E-A-N. So if you miss a show or you want to go catch something from a couple months ago, you can go check it out and uh, listen to it whenever. Yeah, that's a great way to listen. I also like to listen to us on the smartphone. I like to listen to the show or the um, station station, on the smartphone. And, you know, you can listen on your new iPhone 6 if you've already gotten that. If you're into stores, plus, yeah, the big one. That's huge. I'm not one of those guys that goes out and gets the newest technology. I let all the bugs work out. I haven't yet, but I probably (laughs) will. I haven't upgraded in a few years. So, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, you can can download the TuneIn radio app to listen on your smartphone, or you can go to iTalkUS, and there's an app there on iTalkUS. US um, to listen to the station as well. So that's a great way to listen. You can do it while you're out working in the yard and, um, you know, tailgating for mm-hmm. a football game. No, yeah. we're not talking football this week. No, no, no football this week. You <laughs> no sure? Yeah, Are you just, sure? Yeah, we're just going to skip it. I mean, come on. I mean, yeah. We, no. it, we talk every week about football. No, we don't need to. We just need to see. We, we talk too much about football, really. Oh, do we really? <laughs> this yeah. is a finance show. This that's, is not a, that's, that's sad. Not yeah. a sports show. <clears throat> yeah, so. We'll just Carolina, what are they? What are they ranked now? They're yeah, they they're, were thirteen last week or something. Now doubled, they're like probably twenty six. Twenty six. We're yeah. at the top twenty five. Uh, so. Ouch! <clears throat> ouch! I hate that. In Clemson, we're 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 well, we're not. You're, exactly. right, on the, you're right there too. <laughs> we're not exactly. I will say that we lost <laughs> to the only Tigers we will lose to this year. Oh, you we think lost so? To the Missouri Tigers. <clears throat> you think so? Well, so. I am not going to start forecasting that game. That's for <laughs> sure because. You know, I'll jinx it, but I think we have a good chance this year. We'll put it that yeah. way. You know, I was at but, the game Saturday last Saturday, and and uh, Deshaun Watson is a f- phenomenal. He he, uh, he I am starting to be really impressed by him. I am he hopeful really for next year. Yep. You know, I don't. I mean, I think this year mm-hmm. we'll be do good. To, you know, he is really games, good. but yeah, he's he's got potential. I like it. But we're <clears> not talking football. So. <laughs> no other football. That's it. So declares John. Okay, well, we are going to start off here, though, talking about our show. And we're going to start off here with, um, what, the three lessons from Derek Jeter? Yeah, the three investment lessons. You know, Derek Jeter is a... He's a great uh, investor or something? Well, he's a great baseball player. Yes, he is. New York Yankees, uh, shortstop, been a captain for a long time. We'll be in the Hall of Fame one day. Uh, Just does things the right way. So we're going to have three lessons um, that you can kind of take from his career how he built it, um, and we're going to apply that to investing. So yeah, I think there good. are some great analogies there that you can apply. And uh, then next we got the uh, uh, kind of uh, talking about the stock market. There's a, is this a normal stock market pullback, 
or is this a bursting bubble? And you know, it's an article out of Bloomberg. Yeah, we have our uh, magic, you know, eight ball here, right? Yeah, we're right. We're going to spin around. We're going to rub the crystal ball here, and we're going to make some, some big predictions here. But, no, I mean, it's a great article. It is. You know, it kind of talks about where the economy is, where the market is today. What does the data look like? You know, is this indicating something bigger? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's interesting data. I think yeah, it puts it, it in perspective it pretty does. well. So, and then we're going to finish up here with the five keys for a successful retirement. And, um, you know, again, this is a great article out of Yahoo Finance, and it just talks about five things that are are central to you having a successful retirement. And uh, I think there's a lot to learn there. So, great topics today. Yep, they are. We're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, this comes from the uh, S&P uh, Corporation, and uh, it talks about the earnings of the S&P 500 companies. And um, it's good news. I mean, if you look back all the way to 2007, uh, that was right before the financial crisis, obviously, in 2008 occurred. Um, companies had a tough time. And so the S&P 500 stock index in the calendar year of 2014 the actual earnings are projected to be about two-thirds larger, about close to 70% larger than what they were back in 2007. So tremendous progress. Now, it's taken, you know, seven years or, you know, six right. years to get there, um, but it's been a fantastic earnings season, and that's really driven part of the market performance, right? Yeah, I mean, let me clarify. I mean, 2007 was before the market took, you know, before the Great Recession, right? So that was kind of the high point, you know, of the 2000s. Um, and earnings were, were kind of reaching their high, you know, uh, rec- fully recovered from the 2001-2002 bear market. And so it just goes to show, I mean, earnings are pretty good. I mean, earnings have increased, you know, that much, but the stock market hasn't gone up that much since 2007. It has yeah, recovered, sure, but it is not 70% more. And that's one reason why valuations are, are, are relatively attractive today. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's because what we're going to talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, price-to-earnings ratios are not bad, and that's because earnings have gone up. Companies have adjusted. Companies have, you know, it's great how capitalism has mm-hmm. the ability to, you know, for companies to deploy capital where it's going to help them to survive and to prosper even in a slow economic time like we've been in. Yeah. So I think that's an interesting positive. Good fact. All right. That leads up to our first topic here. Three lessons investors can learn from Derek Jeter from baseball. How can that be, John? Sports topic here. Yeah, I, I do love sports analogies. Yeah, we're just not talking football. No, no football. We got it. He goes to baseball. I love how yeah. that happens. Now, if Carolina, Carolina wins this week, week, we'll talk football next week. Oh, but, of course. Uh, you know. Anyway, this is a great article. This is out of CNN Money, and um, you know, it looks at Derek Jeter's career. Now, Derek Jeter, um, you know, has had an illustrious twenty-year career uh, as the New York Yankees shortstop, and. And there's some some really great lessons as you look at his career. Now, Derek and he, Jeter's and he did it without steroids. That's, that's right. And he that. did it, it. It appears that he's done it within the rules, which not you know all major league baseball players do. Not me. Um, he doesn't hasn't gotten into trouble. He's kind of stayed low. He's been the captain of the team for a number of years, an all star, really a phenomenal uh, baseball player, and um, a lot of lessons from life that you can pull from him. But we're going to take this to investing. So, uh, number one here is is don't swing for the fences. I mean. You know, a lot of people like the long ball, but if you look at Jeter's career, it, it shows that there's more to baseball and, and investing, for that matter, um, than just hitting home runs. I mean, the Yankee great uh, is a sure bet to make the Hall of Fame at some point, 
you know, but he only averaged 13 home runs a year. So he wasn't hitting, you know, 25 or 30. And if you remember back in, um, you know, guys, this was probably 15 years ago when Mark McGuire was chasing and Sammy Sosa, they were hitting 60 and 70 a year. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> and that's more sexy. People like home runs and so forth. Sure. He didn't do it. I mean, that's not how he, he operated. In Plus, fact, I think they had a little help. Well, that's right. They were juicing it a little bit. A little so bit. they were not playing by the rules. But Jeter only had one grand slam in his entire career. And I don't know how many at-bats that is, but that's not a lot. Um, but, you know, Jeter made a pretty solid living by hitting singles and doubles on a very consistent basis. That's what his game was. Yeah, and that's the key. You know, he was consistent, right? He stuck to a strategy, didn't swing for the fences like you said. And while it's tough to be as consistent as Jeter, I mean, Vester's should take note of that example and avoid the temptation to trying to find a grand slam in the stock market. You know, and I think that's a great analogy. I mean, speculative mm-hmm. stock picking can turn into a big win every now and then, but it can also really backfire. I mean, just look at some of the examples from history, you know, recent history from like 2011. You know, there's Radio Shack, which we just heard about here recently. They've closed another huge number of stores mm-hmm. and you know they're trying to survive um but they've tumbled from ten dollars a share you know to blow ten dollars a share here in recent history i mean they've they've really gone down but of course there's we're littered with that there's gm there's delta there's facebook there's sure. you know sirius radio which you know tumbled before you got bought by xm um <clears throat> so and you know i just want to say past performance is not indicative of the future absolutely we're not picking stocks or talking to, trying to predict anything here um, we're just telling you that you can't swing for the fences and try to do those things. You can't try to pick individual stocks and be successful. Because what people forget, John, is that there is a very small number of stocks in the stock market, like 25%, that made up all of the return mm-hmm. over the last 20 years. Right. Um, it, it's, it's a phenomenal small percentage. And if you don't get your share of those big winners... Um, you know, if you miss that, then you're going to underperform the market. Yeah, I mean, if you look at stocks, individual stocks versus mutual funds, certainly people do it, and some people are successful. But the the variation, the volatility can be can be great, and that's that's really the risk that we talk about when you do individual stocks. Um, you know, you talked about Radio Shack a little bit. Um, some investors who um, played it safe by betting on the retail industry, which was you know much more broad than just the um, uh, the Radio Shack. They did pretty well. They actually um, surged about sixty percent since late two thousand and eleven. So that's not that's not bad for playing it safe. So if you have all your money into one stock, wide fluctuations. If you kind of spread it out, it, it typically has historically reduced volatility. Yeah, and that was that was buying an ETF, right? So yes. that was buying an index fund essentially, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and and that's the key, you know. And that's the way we suggest you invest is. To diversify, yeah. buy funds that are buying hundreds, if not thousands, of stocks instead of buying just one stock, and that—that's really key here. And that's what you know, Jeter. I mean, he—that's right. You know, singles he was consistent. And singles and doubles. He's just, you know, he's picking a good pitch and swinging at it, and that's not, right. not swinging for the fences. So, yeah. All right, we'll continue discussion when we come back from the break. But if you have questions, you can email us at info <clears throat> at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Money, money, money. 
Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marber, a certified financial planner. And I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the three lessons investors can learn from Derek Jeter. Famous uh yeah. you know, baseball shortstop. I mean, he's He's had a remarkable career. He really has. 20 years, uh, New York Yankees uh, shortstop for all 20 years is unusual. Pretty much done it by the book. He hasn't you know, gotten into trouble <clears throat> taking extra um, things and so forth. And um, yep. you know, he hasn't really done it by hitting home runs. He's, he's averaged 13 home runs per year. Not bad, but it's certainly not in the, the leader category in that. But he's done a lot of singles and doubles. That's what he, the way he's made his living. And you know, that's what we look at investing. You don't have to hit home runs to be successful. Um, trying to hit a home run in the stock market can be can be risky. Some people do it, um, but you know, from a, a risk standpoint, that's what we look at. Mutual funds, ETFs have been a great way to invest. We're not trying to predict the future. Past performance does not predict the future. You know, we always we see those and we we, we believe in that. But mutual funds historically have been less volatile than individual stocks. Yeah, I agree. You know, and Derek Jeter reminds me of uh, of the Braves, um, Chipper Jones. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, very similar type guy. Yeah, I mean, right. man, he'd get up to the plate, and you know, I mean, he's—I don't know what he batted over his career, but he was, you know, in the three hundreds, I think, where he was pretty pretty good yeah. bet for getting singles, doubles, triples. Yep. You know, running somebody, bringing somebody home. You know, RBI, real high RBI percentage, and. It's the same thing. I mean, he was not swinging for the fence every time. You know, he was just counting on hitting the ball, mm-hmm. and that's what you got to do in the stock market. You got to make sure that you get your share of your piece of the ball when it when it comes across the plate. You know, and when the market is up, when the market is having a decent year, the way you make sure you get your share of that is to diversify. Mm-hmm. You know, it's to have your money spread out in a lot of different asset classes, in a lot of different um, stocks within each asset class, um, you know, an index fund, yeah. right, or a pure asset class fund as we use. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> have the right risk know. profile, bonds. That's you know, it. <clears throat> you know, so you're not swinging for the fence, but when that ball comes over the plate, you make sure you get your piece of it. Yeah, Because if you right. don't, you know... You're going to miss out on. I mean, you're going to be swinging at yeah. curveballs, you know, down the dirt. And last year, the ball came right over the center of the plate. It did, <clears throat> and you had to get that hit. You cannot be out there in a few yeah. stocks and miss that. Yep, that's right. That's yeah. right. So that that's good. That number one here, don't swing for the fences. Singles and doubles work in investing. Number two here is don't panic in the fall. And you know, we look at you know late September and October can can be an exciting time in baseball. It's when the playoffs happen, but also it's very stressful. Uh, for the players and sometimes investors as well. Uh, you look at Major League uh, Baseball players who are dealing with bright lights, uh, playoffs, uh, where a single pitch can make or break um, the entire season. And investors, too, are grappling with kind of a historical turbulent period that in the past has featured the collapse of Lehman Brothers uh, back in uh, 1987. Black Monday crashed in October so. You know, sometimes people say the fall can be a challenge to invest in, and there's no correlation between that. But, you know, if you look at Jeter, he thrived under the pressure of the fall. He won five World Series championships and the nickname of Mr. November for his stellar performance in the the 9-11 extended 2001 postseason. So he had some great um, times in the fall, and he followed through that. He didn't panic when markets do crazy things, and we have a topic on that coming up. But he just kind of stayed true and steady to his plan that he was working yeah and i think that's really a a timely lesson for today um you know you're like you said he succeeded by not panicking 
Um, that that's something investors should remember during times of turbulence um, in the fall or otherwise. But now would be a good time to take note of that, I think, and not panic because a many a lot of asset classes right now are underwater mm-hmm. for the year, mm-hmm. and you know it would be real easy to start chasing a hot asset class like large growth stocks, which have taken off this year relative to everything else. They're they're one of the leading asset classes um, or, or emerging markets chasing something that's not in your portfolio that you and, and weighting your portfolio toward a lot of that. You know, even the S and P five hundred, you know, is is doing a lot better than most asset classes mm-hmm. this year. But that's not what history says, and that's not what academic research shows is the best way to invest and diversify over time. So it's time to stay, you know, stay in the in the in the batter's box, if you will, you know, don't swing outside of the box. Don't be chasing some wild pitch. You know, it's time to stay calm um during the current market turbulence. You know, as the Dow dropped, you know, a whole bunch last week, and don't sell off, don't go to cash, don't do anything silly. Stay diversified and stick with the tried and true diversified portfolio that got you here. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, and we saw you mentioned that there was a lot of turbulence um, this week ahead of investors getting new economic data, um, a lot of key manufacturing numbers out there. Um, so this article goes on to say, you know, stocks could be headed for a pullback, I mean, or correction. We haven't had one since October of 2011. It's pretty yeah, it's, pretty amazing. It's it about is. three years. It typically, historically, I mean, it's happened a little bit more frequently. I have to say it feels like a correction. Even though we haven't seen the S&P 500 correct, yeah. a lot of asset classes like small stocks mm-hmm. now are down, you know, 5% or something. I mean, they and they have pulled back from a 5%. They are in correction territory. Yeah from their highs yeah that's right that's right and most people focus on the s&p 500 index but there are a lot of different pieces to the market that uh, that we look at so the second one here on the list is um is don't panic you know stay stay true to your plan um and the third one here is strike a balance one of the things that made jeter a great hitter is the fact that defenses and pitchers they couldn't rely on one tactic to consistently get them out if they pitched him inside, he was strong enough to pull the ball down the line, and if they tried to, to, to pitch him away, he could drive the ball to the opposite field. He was very balanced, and um, he had a great approach to uh, hitting. And it really didn't matter who was pitching. He could he could adjust associated with it, and you can take a lesson from that from an investing standpoint. Yeah, exactly. I mean, investors should um, take a similar balanced, diversified strategy. Um you know, I th- I always put things in terms of golf, right? This <laughs> is baseball. Let's bring it back to golf here, John. Let's, let's please let's bring it back to something we can relate to. <laughs> um, you know, you don't go for the pin when it's tucked in the corner, right? You, you go for the center of the green, mm. right? I mean, you might you might favor a little bit toward the pin, but you do not go for the pin when it's in one of those sucker pin positions. Do you, I think the Ryder Cup U.S. team is looking for some help. Do you think you could go? I, I, I could give them some advice. I could. That, yeah. you know, no, I mean, they need, they need something. They need right. some help. They do need some help, <laughs> man. That was that Not was a good ugly. showing. Yeah, so, I mean, just like just because technology stocks like GoPro and Tesla and Facebook and, you know, Abadaba, you know, you name it, yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. are all the hype, that doesn't mean you should they should make up your entire portfolio or even a significant piece. You don't want to chase individual stocks. You want to be diversified across the entire spectrum. 
you know, have an index fund, right? right? Have a bunch of index funds, t- passive type funds that are structured to capture market rates of return. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and, and to sum up here, I mean, exactly what you're saying, you know, look at, at diversifying. That includes, you know, if, as you get older, maybe having some bond funds so there's not so much volatility in there. But you've got to sit down with your advisor. If you don't have an advisor, you know, sit down and look at your allocation. Make sure it's reasonable. You can go back and look at 2008 as a, as a great benchmark to how different asset classes perform. So uh, Derek Jeter, he's a future Hall of Famer. I don't think it's – he's probably going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Sometimes it takes him a couple years to get in. But uh, great, great lessons that he can provide not only in life but also from an investing standpoint. So – Yeah, good good article, good uh, good topic. All right, and that leads us up here, though, to our – question of the week yeah this question has to do with life insurance and uh how do i determine how much life insurance to buy had a a good question yeah it is i had a discussion with a a client this last week and um kids are out of the house Uh, he does have a mortgage he has a pretty sizable income and um other than the mortgage there's no other debt so he was asking me do i look at my debts and and my kids wanting to help them uh, even though they're out of the house or do i look at my income and um, there's a couple yep. of different ways to do it. You have to look at needs, kind of a needs-based approach, right? That, that's right. I mean, they're rules of thumb, but those rules of thumb are very, very broad, and you really need to analyze it deeper than that. That's right. So he, he has uh, – his wife has a pension um, from a previous job. He has a small pension. They have some Social Security that's going to be coming in. They have a nice investment balance. So if you look at their resources uh, and you figure out how much income she's going to need – in retirement, that's kind of how you back into how much life insurance you need. So there's there's different formulas, different ways of calculating it, but certainly debt load is, is a piece of it, but there's other factors in there. What are your desires? Do you want to help your kids out, your grandkids? Do you have kids in college? You know, things like that. So um, eight to ten times is what Dave Ramsey uses. That's yeah, a ballpark number. That's a real broad brush number, and, and a lot of times that's too much, but because it depends on your whole situation, how much you have in your 401k, sure. what other income sources are, what your spouse makes, you know, in terms of income, what your liabilities are. Um, we have a great uh, uh, insurance needs analysis, analyzer mm-hmm. um, that we can plug people into. So if you'd like some help figuring out how much insurance you need, um, you know, give us a call. We'd be happy to sit down with you free of charge. We don't charge anything for initial consultations, mm-hmm. and we can we can run that for you, you know, pretty quickly and yeah. give you a, a broad picture of what your highest point in the next 20 years is for insurance, and that's really how much you should insure for is that high, high watermark. Right, right. So, all right, that's a great topic. And that leads up to our break here, but if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages and Gene and News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner. And I'm here with John Travis, who's a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are going to start off our next segment here with a new topic, and that is um, talking about the stock market, John. I mean, <laughs> got your crystal ball out, huh? Yeah, we got her crystal ball out. You know, I mean, the, yeah, the, the article here is out of Bloomberg um, from economist uh, or a columnist, Jeff Reeves. And, and basically, it's this you know, normal stock market pullback, or is this a bursting bubble? Mm-hmm. You know, he says the economy's growing. Inflation's under control. What's the problem? 
And so, um, you know, it's a great article here. And I mean, it, it and I think the stock market is at an unusual point where a lot of asset classes are underwater this year. Um, and the market has pulled back quite a bit. Large U.S. stocks are still kind of one of the leading asset classes, which is unusual. Um, you know, normally small stocks and value stocks do better and uh, emerging markets and those kinds of things. This year is is an unusual year, and um, but that's that's the stock market. You know, that's we could we could just end right there and say yeah. get over it. You know, it's <laughs> the right. stock market. That's, that's what ha- that's what stock markets do. Yeah, it doesn't change your long term strategy. But no, we're going to dig into it a little bit. Yeah, I mean, as the S and P five hundred recedes from its highs over two thousand, you know, points, um, uh, recent highs. Um, investors are, are once again, and I guess actually that's the Dow, the, the investors are once again, you know, are, are kind of assaulted with the bubble talk, you know, and questions of is uh, is the bubble, you know, bursting, you know, and pundits have been, that the pundits have been forecasting. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's one of those things. You just don't, uh, uh, I don't mean to take your, I guess, no, it's good. Yeah, I mean, you know, so, I mean, never mind, you know, stock market's still up about 7% in 2014 after, you know, falling uh, one and a quarter percent or so last week. Um, forget the forecast for a third quarter are strong, and the estimates for earnings in the same period are around, um, yeah. you know, 8.9%. I mean, there's a lot of good things there out are. there. <clears throat> yeah, and the, so the question is, 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 you know, is the end near? <laughs> Right, right. And I don't think there's any evidence of irrational exuberance today. I mean, unfortunately for the so-called perma bears, um, this is not a stock market bubble, according to this article. Corporate and economic reports uh, have shown strength across a lot of different sectors. So we're going to kind of look at five different reasons to have faith uh, that the recent softness in the stock market is not a sign that the bubble is popping. And, again, we're not trying to predict anything here. No. We don't don't do that. We're we're long-term investors. But... You know, if you kind of peel back the onion a little bit and you look at what's under it, um, there's some positive things. So, um, you know, the first one is is data looks pretty good. I mean, the biggest problem with the bubble talk is that um, it ignores some of the facts out there. For instance, the unemployment rate is 6.1%. That's the lowest, Steve, it's been since September of 2008. So, man, it's been a long haul. (laughs) It has taken a long time. It has taken a long time to come down from, what was it, 8 point something, 8.8 It was up to 10. I think at one point it was up to 10%. You're right. You're right. It did. uh, It's been a slow grind. Yeah, and and while the bubble believers like to claim that this is just from people leaving the the labor workforce, um, the Fed noted in July that new jobs among the long-term unemployed accounted for 88% of the drop. And so what that means is people that have been unemployed for longer than six months are actually finding jobs, which is positive. You're getting people healthy again. So the other thing is, is also noted in the second quarter GDP, it expanded at a 4.2% pace. Residential home construction in August was up 8% over a year earlier and so on and so on. But the chances are, if you're, if you believe there's a bubble, then you think these statistics are all lies anyway. So positive data. Um, there's some negative things out there as well. You look at sure. what's going on internationally. That's scaring a lot of people. So, you know, there's data points that we're looking at, and people draw different conclusions. Um, and data. there's always conflicting data out there, Absolutely. even in good markets and in bad markets. <clears throat> um, so, but if you look at the overall economy, yeah, it does it does look pretty decent, reasonable. You know, reasonable, re- reasonably decent, um, and it's growing. Um, I don't think there's any doubt about that. 
I mean, but there is there's a lot of skepticism out there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, and it's not really exuberance, and and that that actually kind of points to the fact that the market probably is not in bubble territory because. Usually within a bubble, everybody is on board thinking, oh, it's going to go forever, and, and the markets are just great. Like um, real estate or technology? Yeah, yeah or two exactly. Two recent examples. Exactly. Two recent examples. Everybody was on board. There were no doubters. Yeah. There are very few doubters at that point. Well, yeah, I mean, Alan Greenspan, you know, he coined the phrase irrational exuberance um, back during the dot-com bubble in, in 1996, and those two words have kind of been synonymous for bubbles ever since then, but... There is no evidence, really, of irrational exuberance today that I can see, John. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you. Um, even if you want to gloss over all the, the kind of improvements, material improvements in the economy, uh, I mean, let's simply consider the um, all the talk of skepticism that's out there. Um, you can just look at the the responses to this article on the uh, Internet, mm-hmm. on, on uh, Bloomberg, and there were a bunch of people who were just hammering it, saying... You know, this is a fiat economy. Sure. You're crazy for yeah. thinking that the economy is decent and that kind of stuff. It just shows how much skepticism there is out there. Uh, there really is a lot. Um, you know, and as you read the headlines, like the G20 finance ministers add to the fears of the stock market bubble. That was on Yahoo Finance. There's another one. Is the stock market bubble 2014 ready to burst? That was on Market Watch. I mean, you can find um, all sorts of, of of sort of doomsdayers out there oh, yeah. today. Well, that's the way it works. There's half the crowd that thinks it's going up, and half the crowd that thinks it's going down. I mean, that's right, and that's a healthy. And that's actually a healthy market. It is very healthy. I agree with that 100. percent And you know, the other thing, Steve, is valuations look reasonable. I mean, when you look beyond the macroeconomic data that we just talked about and the broad sentiment, and you get into the market itself, there's a common um, thing that the bubble crowd keeps talking about, that stocks are grossly overvalued. But, you know, if you look closely at the numbers, that's simply not the case. I mean, the Ford price-to-earnings ratio, that's the price of the stock to the amount of earnings of the company, they measure that, and they've looked at it historically as about 168 and that's high relative to the past couple of years. Um, but if you look back in in, uh, in the 2007 time frame and certainly back in technology, that's a reasonable number. I think the historical has been, you know, maybe 15 roughly. So it's not yeah. in the 20s, which we have seen before. And that's when there is a bubble. That's right. I mean, in fact, in 2000, I remember this distinctly watching the P.E. ratio thinking this is unbelievable because the P.E. ratio was 36 for the S&P 500 wow. in 2000. And but right before it started to correct, uh, it started, it's, you know, really mm-hmm. a bear market. And, you know, people were were exuberant. They yeah. thought it was going to continue forever. It was a new economy. Yeah. You know, fundamentals yeah. don't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah, that's. You know, you need more technology, never mind the fact that the average NASDAQ P.E. was over 200 yeah. back then. Yeah, that's, hey, that's a bubble. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so remember, you know, we're talking about forward earnings here, and they can they can often be way way off. But if you look at the S&P 500, where it was trading like we talked about in 2008 and 2009, um, they were much lower than they are today. But historically speaking, it's in a it's in a a range that does not feel like a bubble. Now, this is not to say stocks are a bargain. It's just to say valuations seem to be fair. And and a choppy, fairly valued market is by no means a sign of a a bubble. We see lower valuations internationally. Now, international has certain risks that you have to make sure is right Mm, for you. But 
you know, the P.E. ratio, price-to-earnings ratio, is a reasonable metric to look at. It's a good bit lower in the international yeah. stocks. Yeah. It is. Yeah, I mean, in the last point, well, another point he makes here is that Fed tightening isn't a bad thing. You know, I mean, everybody's pointing to the fact that the Fed's probably going to raise interest rates here in, in 2015 or late 2015, yeah. early 2016. They have to at some point. They do, but, you know, since 1960, almost every period of rising interest rates has been accompanied by a rising stock market. Um, which is interesting. You know, the reasoning is simple. The Federal Reserve, they loosen policy when times are bad. They tighten it when growth outlook is good. So the bottom line is that unemployment is, is falling. Businesses are slowly increasing their spending, not cutting back. And so that's not stagnation of the 70s. You know, the economy is growing and inflation is below 2%. Um, hasn't been above 3% since 2011. So rather than seeing the Fed as the cause of more trouble, investors should sort of look at that overtures of tightening as a sign of confidence in the economy and that the market at large is is in pretty good shape, mm-hmm. you know. Um, the economy is healthy, you know, and I, I agree with that. I mean, the economy is certainly getting stronger. Yeah, and the final thing here, Steve, is, is rainy days are not doomsdays. I mean, most importantly – it's crucial that investors maintain some perspective on this. No stock goes up forever. No market is bulletproof. Uh, long-term trends never go in straight lines. I mean, we'll definitely see some rainy days uh, this year, maybe next year, um, just as things look gloomy during a choppy 2010 and 2011 when unemployment wouldn't budge and you had all the European debt crisis uh, hanging over our head. So, you know, the key on this is don't try to predict the market. The, the data and the studies that we see time after time again, you can't do that. It just doesn't work. So be properly diversified, allocate um, your money wisely between stocks and bonds, um, and do some rebalancing if the market goes down and stick to your plan. That is the best strategy. That's what we do personally, as well as, you know, what we talk to our clients about. Yeah, I mean, don't fear the economy where it's at. I mean, nobody can predict it. I mean, it can turn on a dime. It doesn't matter really what the current metrics are in the economy. So stick to your strategy. Diversify. Stay invested at the level that you're comfortable with long term. And don't try to predict it. Just ride out whatever the market gives you and add money when it's down. It's a great time to add money, John. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Great buy, with it. Buy low, sell high. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> exactly. That's what that's what add money and rebalancing does. Yeah. Okay. Well, that leads up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are starting off our last segment here with the prescription of the week. It's October the 4th. Christmas is in two and a half months. A couple months, that's yeah. right. Yeah, so it's, it's time to start shopping, John. No, just plan. You don't have to shop <laughs> yet unless you see a deal. So the prescription is is do some planning. Um, sit down with your significant other and, and talk about it. Figure out if you have kids, um, right. you know, grandkids, extended family. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before. If you're If you're struggling to make ends meet or set an emergency fund or paying off debt, um, you know, hand-making gifts is I a love great that. thing. I love that idea. You don't have to spend a lot of money to, you know, make people happy. I mean, I remember my kids, we used to get them the latest fancy-dancy, you know, toy, and yeah. then we would find them in the kitchen beating on a pot and 
pan. Or playing with, with the box. Yeah, exactly. So just do some planning on there and, um, and don't get yourself into trouble. And draw names between a family, there you, you go. know? I mean, you don't have to buy everybody a gift and, you know, I mean... It's really the spirit of the season yeah. that's worth celebrating, not the gifts. That's right. So just draw names. We do that in our family. Just <clears throat> keep it buy simple. one decent gift for one person out of 15 and, you know, just, just cel- good. celebrate the season. Call it good. Eat some food. There you go. Be merry. Yeah. Celebrate. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, cut back this Christmas. Don't yes. spend as much money. It's not about how much money you spend. So that's a good, uh, good prescription of the week. All right, and that leads us up here to our last topic, and that is... Five keys for a successful retirement. Um, okay, John, here's the prescription. This is this. It's really this easy right here. Okay, all right, this is all you need to do. Um, first, you sock away as much money as you can while you're working. Okay, even though you may have other important goals such as buying a house or paying for college or you know all those things that you have to do, but just sock away as much as you can. Next, you figure out how to invest your money so that your nest egg will grow nicely, but it doesn't drop in value just before you need to start drawing on it, mm-hmm. right? And then uh, once you've gained your critical mass and your savings, then you determine how much um, is is going to be enough. Um, and you, uh, even though you don't know exactly how much you're going to need to spend each year or how Sounds long you'll live, yeah. and then, uh, you know, you don't know whether markets are going to help you or not during that time. That, but that's really all you have to do. No that's inflation. Just, that's you don't simple. have to worry about inflation. You don't worry about any of that stuff, right? That's what he says here. I mean, he just it basically throws it out. <laughs> the point is, yeah. it's complicated. It is. It, it is, is very comp. It's not that easy. Um, you know, and he didn't even cover all the steps, really. I mean, it just, it just shows there's a lot of competing issues that you have to deal with when you're planning for retirement. But, there, you know, so is it any wonder that pre-retirees are overwhelmed oh, yeah. by the idea of retirement planning? No doubt. No doubt. We have people come in, in our office all the time that are like, uh, am I on track? Which is exactly. kind of getting to the, the, the key question out of this. And, you know, some of the most powerful lovers in retirement planning don't require you to call the direction of the interest rates or find a dividend-focused fund, um, you know, that, that will deliver a certain return. Uh, rather, they fall into the realm of just blocking and tackling some simple steps. If you stay focused on them, you'll get your retirement plan moving in the right direction, even if you have a, a you know periodic bum year with your portfolio. I mean, that's part of investing in the market. So we've got some good things here. Yeah, we really do. So, I mean, here are some of the key success factors that have the power to make or break a retirement plan. And while you needn't hit every one of these, you know, perfectly, um, handling the majority of them correctly will all but ensure a successful retirement mm-hmm. plan. Um, so number one they list here is, uh, and by the way, this is an article out of Yahoo Finance, and the number one success factor they list, and they list here I agree with, and that is a flexible retirement date. Mm-hmm. Okay, Part of the key is being flexible here with retirement. You know, if you crunch the numbers, you're, you're on your retirement plan, and it looks like your nest egg could come up short, the easiest way to get the math working in your favor is to consider working a little bit longer. Um, doing so can help your plan in a couple different levels. Um, obviously, first of all, you're going to have a few more years to save and yeah, a few more less years to draw off your portfolio. But you'll also be able to defer Social Security, which goes up about 8% per year every year you defer it, mm-hmm. right? So that can be hugely profitable for your retirement in terms of making ends meet. You know, especially if you if you have a longer than average life expectancy, 
Um, so, you know, lots of retirement calculations or calculators are out there, mm-hmm. um, like mint.com. I like that one. Um, so lots of places you can go, but you, 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 to calculate it and see kind of where you stand for retirement. So you need to do some planning. You might also just consider, um, kind of a hybrid strategy and that is shifting into a lower paid but more rewarding mm-hmm. and less stressful job. That's a good strategy. It really is. You know, and alternatively, you could you could put your current, um, quit your per- current position. Um, you could bank your, uh, get into a lower paying job maybe, but less stressful. You could bank your current retirement savings rather than adding to it. Mm-hmm. But that does allow you to defer your Social Security for a couple of years, allows you to defer drawing on it, lets a couple of years for it to build more um, and grow. Um, so, you know, and it might also pocket a little extra money so you can do some traveling and stuff in retirement. Yeah. So, uh, I think that's a good way to do it. Yeah. You know, of course, you know, working longer isn't always a possibility. I mean, we see the stats out there, health considerations for, for you or maybe your spouse or even a parent may interfere with that. And you may not be able to hang on to your job. And that's why working longer can't be your only fallback plan. I meet with folks all the time that say, I'm going to work till 65, 67, 70. And, um, a lot of times they, they can't, they're sometimes laid off or health reasons kind of, you know, jump into that. Right. Right. So yeah, we're going to run through these rest of them here pretty quickly because we're running out of time. Number two here is a well-constructed social security strategy. Um, John, I mean, social security is very, very important in retirement. I mean, we see that every day mm-hmm. with retirees, right? Yeah. It's a big part of your income for current retirees. You have to have a strategy for that. There are great analyzers. There are some analyzers out there. We have one where we're happy to run for you free of charge um, that really shows you all the different possibilities for taking Social Security. And there are some really powerful strategies out there like, um, you know, taking a spousal benefit and mm-hmm. deferring your own Social Security. Um, so you need to consider those, and you need to have a well-constructed Social Security strategy. So that was number two. Yeah, number three here on the list is uh, make sure you have a large enough stock allocation. Um, the traditional lifetime glide path calls for, you know, people that are building wealth to have a high percentage in stocks. And then as you get closer to retirement, they gradually peel back the equity exposure and they replace it with um, with bonds. But make make no mistake, pre-retirees and retirees' needs – they need some stocks in there as well. I mean, the the key reason is purchasing power preservation, also known as inflation protection. That's you know? right. If inflation runs 3% and you have a portfolio in cash yielding 2%, it's going to be hard to hold up against inflation. And 3% is historically where it's been. And I uh, don't know what it's going to be in the future, but having some stocks to to earn and, and grow is is a strategy that you ought to consider. Yeah, and for most people, we we think you need to have at least fifty percent in stocks. Mm-hmm. You know, even in retirement, um, fifty or sixty percent maybe. Um, you know, bonds are not in a good place today in terms of interest rates, in terms of yields. So, I mean, again, that's not a prediction of the future, but you, you need to have some equities in your portfolio. So that was that was a good one. And then the fourth one here on the list is. Uh, have a sensible but a dynamic spending strategy. You know, the size and competition of composition of your retirement portfolio is just one side of the ledger. The other side is the strategy you use for taking money out from that portfolio on an ongoing basis. And even a very large portfolio aren't big enough to last an entire retirement if the withdrawal rate is too high. 
And that's why, you know, us financial planners out there um, have been focusing a lot of energy on this area in recent years. A lot of experts tell you, you know, the old 4% rule um, really is is not a great rule anymore. I mean, you need to have you need to have some flexibility built into that so that if you live longer, yeah. you're able to adjust that as time goes. And then the fifth um, strategy here, success factor, is having flexibility on your in-retirement living expenses, John. I mean, you have to have some built-in flexibility on where you spend your money. Uh, obviously, your, your, your non-discretionary expenses are going to be fixed. Mm-hmm. But you need to have some room so that you can you can take the big vacation on good years when you can take a little extra out of your portfolio, yep. um, not not be locked into a really high rate um, with a big mortgage. It, really, debt is the issue, right? And you get in retirement, you need to have your debt paid down so yeah, you have some flexibility absolutely on spending. So those are the five things for um, you know ensuring a successful retirement. Um, you know, we'd be happy to sit down with you yep. and go through them and, and kind of do an analysis and see where you stand as well. So give us a call if we can help. Well, that brings up to close for this week's edition of Money MD with John and Steve. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. You can email us your questions at info at moneymd.net or give us a call, John and Steve, at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. Securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC.